0: Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Ameen, we are on episode 49. Alhamdulillah. So, next week, inshallah ta'ala, this will actually be 50 episodes of the series. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from us all. Allahumma amin. And as I will frequently say, it's good to go back and review some of the previous episodes, inshallah ta'ala, especially as you keep hearing the same names over and over and over again. There's a study of the seerah of the Prophet when you start from the beginning and go to the end. One of the benefits of studying the Sahaba in this fashion, especially when we're doing chronologically, everyone that we've studied are the people that Umar would put in the front of the line, the earliest people to Islam. And you keep on hearing these names over and over and over again, then inshallah ta'ala, it reinforces a connection that you may have otherwise been aware of. Now, tonight's biography is, uh, is one that's very special to me. Uh, when Muhsin was founded, Muslims understanding and helping special education needs. And you start to look through the biographies of the Sahaba to find the stories about disability. This is the story that always comes up first. This is the one that we talk about. This is the go-to to try to impress upon Muslims the importance of honoring those with special needs with a special honor. And this is a person who Allah has revealed Quran about. And not just one time, more than one time. And SubhanAllah, what I find very interesting about this person that we're talking about tonight is that most people only know him through one incident. But SubhanAllah, he has an extensive biography alongside the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam and he had a position amongst the companions that InshaAllah Ta'ala we will talk about today. And his name is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum Ta'ala Anhu. Now, what's very interesting about this as we get started, is that there's actually a difference of opinion about his name, all right? So, the people of Medina, the scholars of Medina, they said his name was Abdullah. The scholars of Iraq said his name was actually Amr ibn Umm Maktoum. So, Abdullah or Amr ibn Umm Maktoum. And there's also a narration that his name prior to Islam was Hussain, Hussain with a Saad, not Hussein radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu, Hussain. And the Prophet وسلم, changed his name to Abdullah. This is also the case, by the way, of the famous Jewish rabbi in Al-Madinah uh, who became a great scholar and companion of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam, Abdullah ibn Salam, radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. I will ask you when one day we do his biography what his name was prior to Islam. His name was also Hussain and the Prophet وسلم, changed his name to Abdullah. So Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum now, before I start talking about anything in regards to him, alright, does he come from the lower class of Mecca or from the higher class of Mecca? How many of you say lower? You have to raise your hand, alright, so none of that, like, I don't know. How many of you say higher? Alright, the two people are actually right. Abdullah ibn Maktoum is not from the lower class of Mecca. He has a disability, but he's actually a person of good lineage, good in the sense of the Meccan standards of lineage, right, the days of ignorance. Uh, he is actually the first cousin of none other than our mother Khadija radiallahu ta'ala Anha. All right, so here's what another test for you, and I might give you my laptop if you answer this properly. What was Khadijah, radiAllahu anha's mom named? Just her first name. I'll give you a clue, but I'm not giving you my laptop because you didn't answer it without. So her mom's name, was also one of the names of one of her daughters. Not Zainab, Fatima, all right. Khadija radiAllahu anha's mother was Fatima bint Zaida. Okay, so Fatima bint Zaida uh, bint Qais is the sister of the father of Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum. So she is the paternal aunt of Abdullah bin Umm Maktoum. Abdullah is the son of Qais ibn Zaida. Qais ibn Zaida. So his actual name is Abdullah ibn Qais ibn Zaida. And I'll talk about why he's named after his mother or he's referred to by his mother instead. So his name is Abdullah ibn Qais ibn Zaida. Qais is the brother of the mother of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha and her name was Fatima bint Zaida. And the mother of Abdullah uh, ibn Qais ibn uh, Zaida is a woman by the name of Atika. Bint Abdullah al makhzumiyyah She's from the tribe of Banu Mahzum. So Aatika, bint Abdullah from the tribe of Banu Mahzum. Who is also from the tribe of Banu Mahzum? Come on, somebody make me really happy. It's come up a few times. Abu Jahl, great. Okay, so Abu Jahal, this is the tribe of Abu Jahal, which again was a key competing tribe with the Prophet's tribe of Banu Hashim. And probably the main under underlying reason, or definitely the main underlying reason for Abu Jaha's insistence that we could not acknowledge the Prophet Sallallahu Wasallam because otherwise this gives Banu Hashim permanent status over Banu Mahzum. So he has pretty good lineage, right, I mean both sides of his family are Qurashi, they're from a high place in Quraysh, uh, but at the same time he has this disability which he's famous for. Which is blindness. And there's something really interesting to be said about this. That uh, that you know, that the, the biographers say that he's the only companion of the Prophet ﷺ that we know of that was actually born blind. Okay? So he was born without vision. It was very common for them, and you read about many of the sahaba who lost their vision later on in life. Very common to read about. I mean, everyone from Abdullah bin Abbas, other great scholars, and you'll read that by the time that these Sahaba became elderly, they lost their vision. But he's actually the only companion that we know of that was born uh, without uh, vision. And this is why his mother is nicknamed Umm Maktoum. Maktoum comes from Ketum, which is concealed. So she is the mother of him, Al-Maktoum the one who could not see, his vision was concealed. He was unable to see the world around him. SubhanAllah how these things play out in life. You have no idea how these names are going to unveil themselves later on in life. So he's technically referred to, he was Al maktum okay? He's not able to see the world around him. So his mother was who? They, they said it as an expression of sympathy for her. She is Umm maktum. she's the mother of the blind child. Okay, so Abdullah, it's not that he, and that's why you don't find that he was, you know, he wasn't amongst those that was oppressed, like Bilal and Suhaib and Ammar and Miqdad and Khabab, right? He's, he escapes that level of torture because though our, our vision of him tends to be one who belonged to that lower class in that sense, he wasn't, right? So he's not someone who's going to be persecuted in Mecca that we know of. In fact, we know of no persecution of him. It could have been sympathy towards him or it could have been that his status protected him or a combination of the two. Okay, so he is Abdullah ibn Umm radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu and because he is the first cousin of Khadija radiAllahu ta'ala Anha, he was already familiar with the character of the Prophet SallAllahu before the Prophet began his call, and so as soon as he heard about the call, he said, Aslamt, I, I believe. I believe in the religion of this noble man. He witnessed his character, he, Tawheed, the idea of monotheism resonated with him. So Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was actually considered one of the earliest converts of Islam. And the way that you know someone is very early on in Islam is when they say that they became Muslim even before Dar al-Arqam opened up for the earliest converts. So his connection to Khadija perhaps allowed him to know that the Prophet was calling to Islam early on. And so Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum embraced Islam early on did not need much convincing and accepts the messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. With all that being said, the only story we know about him in Mecca is the one that he's most famous for, okay? Which is the story of Abasa, the story of Abasa. So let's dissect the story a bit inshallah, then we'll talk about the rich biography of him after Abasa, after this story took place. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was trying to get the attention of the nobles of Quraysh. That is not a mission, or that is not a priority. That is to be dismissed. The prophets some figures. If I can get some of these people to become to become Muslim, then that is going to have an immediate impact on both the ability of the early Muslims to practice their religion freely in society, as well as other people converting, because when powerful people convert, then those that look to them, either out of a sense of tribal obligation or because they, ha- they hold a certain position in society, they will also follow. The proof is in Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu and Hamza radiallahu anhu, who embraced Islam only three days apart and changed the course of Islamic history. Right? So the Prophet وسلم, is trying to speak to these people and he does not shut the door on them. And so finally they tell the Prophet وسلم, look, you want us to listen to you? We'll listen to you. Come meet us at this place. So the Prophet وسلم, goes to meet with the elders of the leaders of Quraysh. And I will name them for a moment, okay? Rutbah ibn Rabi'ah and his brother Shayba. Rutbah the father of Abu Hudayfa, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. We talked about the position of Utbah in society. Utbah is, the is, is you know, there's a famous incident of him, uh, the, the, the leaders of Quraysh eventually trying to send him to, to reason with the Prophet, ﷺ and stop him from calling and saying, we'll give you everything that Mecca has to offer for you to stop this call. So Utbah's in this gathering. Utbah's brother, Shayba, is in this gathering. Umayya ibn Khalaf. Who, of course, is most famous for being the one who who, who uh, possessed and, and tortured, persecuted Bilal as he embraced Islam. So you have Utbah, Shaybah, Umayyah, Abu Jahl, is giving the prophet, seemingly giving the Prophet an ear. All right. Add on to all of that, the person who mocked the revelation itself, al waleed ibn Mu'ghira, the father of Khalid Al-Walid ibn Mu'ghira. Allah refers to him in the Qur'an, okay? Da'ni wa man khalaqtu Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala threatens him with punishment in the Qur'an because he he basically mocked the Qur'an and said, I know I can tell these stories of the past and I can buy my way out of hell if there's a hell anyway. That's the arrogance of Al-Waleed. So these are the men that are sitting there and saying, go ahead and address us. We're We're gonna give you a chance to give us this message of yours. Golden opportunity, right? the prophet sallallahu sits with them and as he sits with them abdullah ibn umm maktum radiallahu ta'ala anhu who is looked down in society not again because of his tribal status but because of his disability and he wasn't someone that really you know participated in the workplace or anything like that so he comes to the prophet sallallahu running okay yas'a Alright, he's coming to the Prophet, he's looking for him anywhere he can find him. Now, there's something that's very important to mention here. Rasulullah had made himself so accessible to Abdullah ibn Umaqtum radiallahu ta'ala anhu that that was the nature of their relationship. Abdullah ibn Umm would come out, would look for him, he would find him, put his hands on him, and the Prophet would talk to him for as long as he wanted to talk to him. So there's a, a, a pretext to this incident that should not be lost about the character of the Prophet. Whatever you need, ask, and the Prophet would answer him with whatever he wanted. He has no idea who else is around the Prophet Rasulullah is in the middle of this conversation, feeling like he's finally garnering the attention of these people who hated him and who persecuted him for surrounding himself with the lowly of whom one is coming and rushing to the Prophet On top of that, he's raising his voice. And he's saying, Ya Muhammad, allimni Ya Muhammad, allimni Ya Muhammad, allimni So he says it loudly, O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, teach me from what Allah has taught you. Teach me from what Allah has taught you. Teach me from what Allah has taught you. And he's looking for the Prophet, وسلم, and when he finds, he says, bring me close to you, Ya Muhammad. Sit me close to you. Adnini, bring me close to you so, so I can listen to you. Let's talk right now. Because that's how the Prophet, sallallahu was with him. He has no idea what is happening. And by the way, uh, the prohibition came later on. Just This is just very interesting because it comes in the books of Tafsir to call the Prophet Sallallahu by his name in form of Nida, to call him Ya Muhammad, to call out to him and say Ya Muhammad. You can, of course, call him Muhammad Sallallahu Wasallam, but not to refer to him, call out to him as Allah says, don't, don't make it that you call upon the Messenger وسلم, the way that you call upon one another. So, this is a prohibition that comes later on. Right now, Ya Muhammad, teach me from what Allah taught you. Only the hypocrites would use it after that, that form of addressing the Prophet. So, when he does that, the Prophet does not tell him, go away. He doesn't tell him, I'm busy. He doesn't push him, he's simply abasa. Abasa means, literally by the way, he moved his two eyebrows close to each other SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam in a means of like being frustrated, like not now, right? Abasa. and would Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum had known that the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi did that, had the revelation not come? No, he wouldn't have even known because he couldn't see him, right? But the elders could see him, okay? Those people from Quraysh could see the Prophet ﷺ expressing the displeasure and the dismissal in his face towards Abdullah ibn um Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. And then he simply continued to talk to the Prophet ﷺ, turned back to them after he shouted out that way. And the Prophet ﷺ continued to address these five men. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not implicitly say to the Prophet ﷺ that something is wrong with this. Allah did not send Jibreel السلام, to the Prophet وسلم, outside of the capacity of Quran, which happens sometimes to tell the Prophet وسلم, about what he should do or instruct him on what to do next. Allah reveals 16 verses for this man. Just think about that for a moment. He revealed 10 verses to clear the name of Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha in Surah An-Nur. Allah reveals 16 verses admonishing the Prophet وسلم, for that shows you the standard that Allah holds his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam, to. But this is not to make an example out of the Prophet sallallahu it's to make an example for the ummah, that things have changed about the way that we look at people. That there is a paradigm shift that has to take place in our hearts and our vision towards the world around us and towards how we look at people. So it wasn't even a private revelation to the Prophet sallallahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals عَبَسَ وتولى. He frowned and he turned away. As the blind man came to him, interrupting him. How do you know he's not coming to you so that he may be purified? Or he would be reminded and the reminder would benefit, benefit him. Remember Allah told Musa alayhi salam and Harun alayhi salam that when you speak to Fir'aun, speak to him in a way, la'allahu yatazakka, perhaps he might yadzakar. he might be reminded and he might purify himself. So Allah is saying that's what you're looking for when you're speaking to a person. That's what makes a person worthy of listening to a message or being spoken to. How do you know that Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum radiallahu ta'ala anhu, perhaps he was coming to you so that he may be reminded and so that he may be purified? Amma man As for that person, man istaghna. Istaghna is not even a sense of rudeness and arrogance because right now the leaders of Mecca were not showing the Prophet life rudeness. They actually were making it appear to him like, fine, we'll consider what you have to say. But istaghna means they feel independent of what you have to say. They don't really need what you have to say. We'll, we'll consider it. We may or may not need it. Whereas Abdullah ibn Maktum, why is he acting with a sense of urgency? Is it because he's annoying is it because he wants to annoy the Prophet? No, it's because he wants to get to Jannah. So whatever it is, we don't we actually, subhanAllah, through all of this, we don't know what he was gonna ask the Prophet وسلم, actually. We don't know because it's irrelevant to the conversation. But he was coming to the Prophet وسلم, with that sense of urgency because he's worried about his akhirah. So these people, Istaghna, they, you know, maybe we'll think about it, we'll we'll will we'll see if it has anything uh, to benefit us, and you're giving them your undivided attention, you're giving them your attention, even though you would not be to blame if they were not to be purified, and ask for that person who came to you with eagerness, one of the best things that the Sahaba took pride in is when Allah praised characters inside of them, and he is in awe of Allah, what does Allah say in the Qur'an? Allah min ibadhi ulama? That those who truly have awe of Allah are truly learned people. They are people of knowledge. So the fruit of knowledge is khashya. Is that you have awe of Allah. If you don't have awe of Allah, it doesn't matter how much you memorize and how much you know. Your knowledge is worthless. But khashya means that you have a true internal awe of God. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, huwa This person that came to you, has an awe of Allah and you didn't pay any attention to him but know O Prophet of Allah this revelation is a reminder so whoever wants to be reminded let them be reminded in written pages held in high honor right These صحف, these, these pages are far too elevated to be denigrated, to appease these filthy people. Who cares if they believe or they don't believe? You do da'wah to them, sure. But don't betray your principles to do da'wah to them in the name of da'wah. That's the difference. It's a noble thing that you want to call everybody to Allah. The famous person, the unknown person, the rich person, the poor person. You see some influence that could come out of that. But do not betray your essence and your principles to try to Bring them. That's where you are now altering the da'wah itself. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that these are words that are on elevated pages. They are highly esteemed and purified. safara, kiramin, barara, by In the hands of angels who are scribes, honorable and virtuous. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down 16 verses. 16 ayat of Quran for this incident. SubhanAllah. And that's by the way one of the proofs of the Prophet's Prophethood. Why would the Prophet ﷺ admonish himself for an incident that most people didn't even know about? But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was teaching the ummah a lesson. And this is not humiliation to our Prophet, ﷺ. this is an honor to our Prophet ﷺ because this is the tarbiyah of the Prophet, ﷺ, the, the way that the Prophet ﷺ is being taught, and we are being taught by extension. How do you think the Prophet SallAllahu looked at Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum RadhiAllahu Ta'ala Anhu after that incident? Every time he would see him, the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi would stand up and the Prophet SallAllahu would say to him, مَرْحَبًا بِمَنْ عَاتَبَنِي فِيهِ رَبِّي مَرْحَبًا Welcome to the one on whose behalf Allah admonished me. Welcome to the one on whose behalf Allah admonished me. SubhanAllah, the Prophet SallAllahu did not hold him in contempt because you got me in trouble with Allah. <laughs> No, absolutely not. You must be a special person for Allah to reveal Qur'an on your behalf like this. Marhaban are atabani fihi rabbi. There's so many gems that we can take from the story. I don't want to take too long because I want to get into the biography, but obviously the tafsir uh, can be in and of itself. However, one thing subhanAllah uh, that I find very interesting and I mentioned the names, Utbah, Shayba, Umayyah. I mentioned Al-Waleed ibn Mughirah and Abu Jahl. Okay? Utbah, Shaybah, Umayyah, Abu Jahl, all of them died in Badr. All of them were killed in Badr. All right, Utbah and Shayba in the very beginning of the battle and the duels. Abu Jahl and Umayyah. Abu Jahl had Abdullah bin Mas'ud, you know, step on top of him and kill him. The one that he almost killed in front of the Kaaba one day. And Umayyah was killed by bilal who he once put under a stone. bilal anhu killed him in Badr. The only one who wasn't killed in Badr was al walid because al walid died before the hijrah anyway. So he died in the Meccan period anyway. So subhanAllah, Allah humiliated all of those men. And Allah subhanAllah ta'ala honored those that the Prophet وسلم, was told to honor. So this is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum So when do we actually start to get into a seerah? Actually in Medina. And it starts with this. al anhu says, The first people to come to us in Medina were two people. Two people that came to us before anyone else came to us from Mecca. One of them, is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. So he is the second person, considered the second person to make hijrah. Who's the first person? The person we're talking about next week. Mus'ab ibn Umair radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. So he says, Mus'ab ibn Umair Umm The first two people the Prophet sent to us from Mecca were Mus'ab ibn Umair and Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum. Thumma قدم علينا Ammar ibn ياسر. And then came Ammar ibn Yasir and Bilal. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. What were they doing? What were Mus'ab and Abdullah ibn Maktoum doing in Medina before the Prophet had made his hijrah and he sent the uh, the Muslims towards there? Uh, Bara radiyallahu ta'ala anhu says, Nas, They were teaching us the Qur'an. These two men were teaching the people the Qur'an. While we were waiting, for the Prophet to come upon us. These were the two men that were around the Prophet life when he received revelation in Mecca. They were going around and they were teaching the Muslim households in Medina, the Quran. So Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum ta'ala anhu is the second person who made the hijrah, which we're gonna be talking about inshallah ta'ala uh, tomorrow as well. And of course, this is the month where the hijrah is revived. So he is the second person, the second Muslim to go to Medina after Mus'ab ta'ala anhu and be commissioned with teaching the people the Quran. The Muslims make the hijrah. They go to Medina. And now as the preparations of Badr start to take place, Abdullah ibn Um Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu is experiencing his first moment of being left out. He wants to partake in the battle. He wants to strive alongside the Prophet sallallahu in Badr and the Prophet sallallahu does not put him in that position. So he's worried about his situation. In Mecca, everyone was kind of on the run and everyone was equally honored. Quran has already been revealed for him early on in Mecca, in Abbasa. He knows the status with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, that's as high as it gets. There is Abu Lahab, the lowest, and then there's Abbasa wa Tawalla, the first person about whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals his Quran in praise of, is Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum radiallahu ta'ala. And of course, Abu Bakr as Siddiq. And Surah So he knows the task, but Badr is happening. And he can't participate in Badr. And it made him so sad. So sad. You know, when someone has khashyah of Allah, when they have awe of Allah, they're not seeking out excuses to not perform their obligations to Allah. They're trying to convince themselves that they can do things that they actually don't have to do. Because they want to please Allah that bad. Ramadan comes and you can't fast it's not you know your, your your health does not allow you to fast and you want to still fast you're not obligated to do certain things you want to still do it because of your love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that's a khashyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so Abdullah ibn Maktoum missed out on the battles with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he made this dua he would say Allahumma anzil udri Allahumma anzil udri oh Allah reveal my excuse Oh Allah reveal my excuse. He already knows that Allah revealed Quran for him once before. So Oh Allah reveal an excuse for me. He wants to hear himself represented in the Quran because he's a very unique situation in this regard, not being able to go out and strive with the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam though he was from the earliest Muslims. So Zayd ibn Thabit radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu tells the story. He says, I was with the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam when the wahi used to come to him, when the revelation used to come to him. Zayd being one of the scribes of the Prophet SallAllahu in Medina. And he said that the body of the Prophet SallAllahu would become so weighty when revelation would come upon him that it could crush a mountain. And indeed, the revelation when it came to the heart of the Prophet ﷺ, it literally, if he was on the camel, it made the knees of the camel buckle. Because, لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِنْ خَشِّيَةِ اللَّهِ had the Quran been revealed to a mountain, it would have flattened it. Out of what? Out of the khashiyah of Allah, out of that awe of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Zayd radiallahu anhu said, One time my thigh was under the leg of the Prophet when revelation came to him, and I could not feel my thigh anymore. I thought my leg was going to be amputated. Because when the revelation came to the Prophet, I couldn't feel my leg under his leg anymore. So this is an incident where he says, that I was with the Prophet SallAllahu and the revelation came upon him SallAllahu and the Prophet SallAllahu we knew when he was receiving revelation, he said to me to bring forth a shoulder, meaning of an animal to write on, right? They were obviously containing the, uh, the written revelation on what was around them at that time. So he said, I brought it forth and Allah revealed to the Prophet SallAllahu not equal are those who sit at home from the believers and those who strive in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are not equal. How do you think that made Abdullah ibn Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu feel? Made him feel worse, right? Wait a minute, so I'm, I'm left out again. So he, he heard the Prophet say that and he said, Ya Rasulullah. He said, O Messenger of Allah, فَمَا تَأْمُرُنِي فَإِنِّي رَجْلٌ ضَرِيرُ الْبَصَرِ Ya Rasulullah, what do you command me to do then? Because I can't see. I can't see. What am I supposed to do? Subhanallah. Zaid radiallahu anhu said, I noticed that, and this was different, This, you know, the revelation came upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam shortly thereafter. Allah sends Jibreel Alayhi to the Prophet again. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was overtaken by revelation again. And when the Prophet regained after that revelation, the ability to convey it at that point, the ayah continued until Ghayru uli in Surah nisa except for those who have a disability. Except for those who have a disability. So SubhanAllah, this part of the verse غير أولد was revealed Allah responding to the dua of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum. This could have been explained through fiqh, right? Understanding the sunnah explains the Quran. Just like many other things in the Quran, the verse is then explained and broken down by the Prophet explaining it. But Allah honored him with Quran again. So another revelation comes down for him. And even though it's a few words, those few words were so beloved to him, radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, uh, and, and, you know, and, and something that he could hold on to that Allah revealed in accordance with my dua, an excuse and said, I am not considered amongst those who are left behind in any way whatsoever. So this is the first man that we see these two revelations come in regards to. Now, what was his status in Medina? Who is the most famous Mu'addin of the Prophet? Sallallahu it's Bilal radiyallahu anhu. He is the mu'addin of the Prophet SallAllahu Bilal is the caller of the Prophet The other caller of the Prophet was Abdullah ibn Maktum. Now, what does that look like in functioning in society, right, in the society? The Prophet used to send Bilal out to give the adhan for Qiyamul If you've ever been in Mecca al-Madina, Umrah, Hajj, you get confused when you hear that adhan for Qiyamul you rush to the masjid and you're like, why is Fajr not happening? And then they do another Adhan and you're like, this is weird. It might have happened to you if you've been for Umar or Hajj. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa taala grant us the opportunity. Allahumma Ameen. That is the Adhan for Qiyam. So the Prophet Sallallahu would tell Bilal Radhi to go out and to call the Adhan and that would wake the people up sometime before Fajr. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam then said, فَكُلُوا وَاشْرَبُوا حَتَّى Ibn Ummi Maktum. So eat and drink, meaning if you're planning to fast, eat and drink until you hear the adhan of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum. That is the adhan of Fajr. Okay? The wisdom of the Prophet Sallallahu Why couldn't Bilal just do both adhans? What is the function in that society when the first man that gives the adhan and the most prominent man for the adhan is someone who was in the most denigrated place in the days of Jahliyyah? In the days of ignorance, Bilal radiallahu ta'ala anhu. For his color, for his status, for uh, his you know lack of a tribe, everything that would be associated with lowliness in the days of ignorance due to their ignorance, not from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, associates Bilal radiallahu anhu, and look how Allah has elevated him. And now, the Prophet, وسلم, the second person who is honored, is the only companion who we know that was born blind, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktum radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, here's the thing. How did Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum know that it was Fajr? Please do not say he had an iPhone. Alright? He did not have an Adhan clock. Isn't fajr something that people saw in the skies? I don't know if you know this, but you actually see it in the sky. All right? There's like a thing where salah time is not based on an app. Okay? A fajr was based on, you know, the actual fajr, right? The break that you would see in the sky. And so Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum could not even see it. So doesn't that complicate things further? Why would the Prophet choose him to give the Adhan for a Fajr he can't see? Not only that, how would it take place? Salim ibn Abdullah ibn taala anhu says, كان ابن Umm Maktoum رجلا أعما لا ينادي حتى يقال له أصبحت أصبحت that Ibn Umm Maktoum could not see anything so he would not call the fajr until someone would go to him and say asbahta asbaht, it's out it's out now you can call the fajr why all this complication because allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to honor that man the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was setting up a certain way within the community and subhanallah we extract so many uh, rulings and so many lessons just from this alone i'm going to go through some of them by the way the fact that the sahabi was defined their entire chapters like a like a uh, a disclaimer, right? Because a Sahabi technically is someone who saw the Prophet ﷺ and believed in him. Abdullah ibn Maktoum radiAllahu Anhu never technically saw the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. Imagine what that did to him, SubhanAllah. He never got to see him in this life. He knew him, he knew of him, he loved him, he adored him. He was everything, but he didn't see him. RadiAllahu ta'ala Anhu. And so you'll find that the books when they're explaining what a Sahabi is, there's like that paragraph at the bottom. But by the way, you know, for some people, this wasn't actually visibly seeing the Prophet, it was being in his presence, knowing he was there and affirming that he was there. So Ibn Maqtoum who could not see the sun, but Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala chose him to be the atmu for Fajr, and Ibn Umm Maqtoum Radiallahu Ta'ala who could not see the Prophet, وسلم, but Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala. Uh, raised him in the presence of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wasallam. There was another thing where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam Anas, sallallahu ta'ala anhu qal istakhlafa rasulullahi sallallahu alayhi sallam ibn ummi maktum ya ummul nasa wa huwa a'ma. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam appointed him to lead the salah. And that was something that wasn't looked as as something that could happen because they thought a person with a disability could not lead the prayer. The Prophet appointed Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum to lead the people in prayer and he was blind. This goes on, by the way, to another honor that when the Prophet would leave Medina, he would put Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum in charge. And not just symbolically, it was actually understood that Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum was in charge of Medina when the Prophet would exit from Medina. Anas radiAllahu witnessed himself istakhlafa ibn Umm Maktoum ala al-Madina marratay. He put Ibn Umm Maktoum ta'ala anhu in charge of Medina. Anas radiAllahu anhu remembered uh, twice in the books of Siyar mentioned 13 times that the Prophet made it clear that as he was going to the outskirts of Medina, Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu this blind man that you would not look at prior to Islam is in charge while I'm gone. So, Muaddin of the Prophet Sallallahu leads the prayer as the Prophet Sallallahu appoints him, and the Prophet Sallallahu puts him in a position of leadership. If you look in the position in, in the chapters of the books of Hadith, by the way, bab fi dharir yuwalla the chapter of a blind man can lead, can be in a position of leadership, right? So they establish it always with the rulings in regards to Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. Some of the other famous incidents, by the way, um, are the incidents in regards to hijab in the presence of Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. Um Salama radiAllahu anha says that one time uh, uh, the Prophet sallallahu came and Maymuna عنها, was present and she was present and Ibn Umm Maktoum came and they didn't put on their hijab. And uh, the Prophet SallAllahu told them to do so. And they said to the Prophet SallAllahu Ya Rasulullah, isn't he blind? And the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam said, uh, are you both blind as well? Are you both unable to see as well? Afa'am yawani antuma? Are you both unable to see as well? They said no, so the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam said, then just you know, uh, you know, observe the, the veil. In the presence of Ibn Maktoum radiallahu ta'ala So here's the thing. Is this something that is uh, established that if a person is blind, that a person still, that you stuff to observe hijab around him? Yes or no? Okay. So here's where it gets interesting. Another incident, Fatima bint Qais radiallahu ta'ala anha. And this is just a seerah tidbit, but it has some fiqh to it as well. Fatima bint Qais radiallahu anha was the first cousin of Ibn Umm Maktoum, and the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam or told her to observe her idda in divorce with him at that time. And the Prophet ﷺ told her that you can remove your hijab in front of him because he cannot see. So Abu Dawud radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, he comments on this. He says that azwaj SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam ألا ترى إلى قيس عند ابن أم مكتوم؟ قد قال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عند ابن أم That you can, you know, Abu Dawood says this was specific to the wise of the Prophet because, as you can see, he told Fatima bint Qais that she could pass her ida in his presence and she did not have to observe the hijab. However, you know, uh, of course, you need to know that a person truly cannot see. All right, so. There's something peculiar to the, the wives of the Prophet wasallam in this regard. However, the ruling uh, does not apply to everyone according to Abu Dawood and according to many of the scholars in that regard. Now, I'm going to fast forward, inshallah ta'ala, to two incidents, one of them being his death. And this first incident is very interesting. It's narrated by al Hakim al-Bayhaqi that Masrook ibn al Ajda, Masrook ibn al Ajda, was a student of Aisha radiallahu anha. Masruq ta'ala anhu being one of the greatest students of Aisha radiyallahu anha collected her knowledge passed it on to the next generation Masruq ibn al-Ajda he says that one day I came to Aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha and I found her serving this this blind man he was wrapped up and she was serving him uh, utruj which is like citrus fruit she was cutting it up for him with her own hands and she was preparing asal honey as well and she was taking it to him and she was honoring him and i was shocked i had no idea who he was so i said to her ya umm al o o our mother o oh mother of the believers who is this man for you to be cutting fruits for him and serving him honey and honoring him in this way like this this isn't what we're used to seeing who is this man so aisha radiyallahu ta'ala anha responds and she says this is ibn umm maktum alladhi ataballahu fihi nabiyahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the one upon whose behalf Allah admonished his Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and then she narrated to him to me, Masrooq was narrating she narrated to me the whole story of Abasa wa and then she said and this is how the family of the Prophet Sallallahu has been ordered to treat him since then so SubhanAllah this legacy lives on with the whole family of the Prophet, وسلم, they knew that when Abdullah ibn Umaqhtum comes around, we have to treat him in a certain way because that's how Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala honored him. So subhanAllah, what about the followers of the Prophet? May Allah count us amongst his family, his brothers, his sisters, that we honor this man عنه, as Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was still honoring him decades after the Prophet وسلم, passed away in accordance with the order of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi that this is a man who Allah honored with revelation, we should also honor him in accordance with that revelation. We come to his death radiAllahu ta'ala Anhu and it's an interesting uh, story because everything that he was prohibited from coming to be in those last moments. In the year 636, uh, which coincides with 14 years after hijrah, you had the most Decisive battle between the Muslims and the most powerful empire in the world, which was the Persian Empire So the most decisive battle takes place between the Muslims and the Persian Empire under Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn taala anhu, And this was called the Battle of Qadisiyya Now in the Battle of Qadisiyya, the preparations for the Battle of Qadisiyah, Which is again against an arrogant large powerful ruthless empire Umar heard about the size of that army and it was over a hundred thousand people. Can you imagine an army in the seventh century that large? Over a hundred thousand people. The Persian Empire had prepared an army of over a hundred thousand people to basically say, let's do away with this nuisance of the Muslims once and for all, let's wipe them off the face of the planet. When Umar anhu got word of that effort to amass over a hundred thousand soldiers, there was a draft of sorts around the entire Muslim ummah. Okay, so the calls to try to amass an army that could put up a fight against this army in Qadisiyah. So people are coming from around the Muslim ummah, and you have in Medina an effort to put forth people that. Otherwise, you know, at, at that point it's voluntary, right? To go out in, in battle, this is, this is voluntary. But now there is an encouragement, how do we get as many people as possible to fight this massive battle under Sa'ad ibn Abi Waqqas radiAllahu ta'ala anhu. As Umar radiAllahu ta'ala anhu is gathering the people, Abdullah ibn Maktum radiAllahu anhu comes to Umar ibn Khattab radiAllahu anhu and he says, ya Amin al Mu'mini, let me go. But you can't, right? You have, you know, subhanAllah, this man did not participate in Badr, Uhud, Khalid, for good reason, ta'ala anhu. he didn't get to participate in those battles. Now you want to participate in this battle where, you know, it's an existential threat for the Muslim ummah, at least outside of the area of Medina. What do you mean? He said, "Yeah, Amir al-Mu'mineen, let me go. Why am I going to go? He said, I'll read Quran to the people. I'll pray with the people Qiyam because... By the way, subhanAllah, the nights before the battle, what did the Muslims used to do? Did they used to get a good night's sleep? No, they'd spend the nights in qiyam al They'd spend the nights in prayer before battle. So I'll go there. I mean, I was the first person next to Mus'ab to be sent to Medina to teach them the Quran, right? So I'll go with them. I'll teach them the Quran. I'll pray with them. But let me go with them, ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. So Umar radiallahu anhu lets him go. Now, when they get to Qadisiyah. What it ends up being is that you have about 30,000 Muslims against this over 100,000 Persians. And Abdullah ibn Um Maktoum radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, I want to fight with you all. I want to be in the battle. And they said to him, what are you going to do? And he said, Alastum tahtajuna ila man Don't you need someone to hold the banner? Someone to be the flag bearer when you go out in battle, right, there's always someone that's carrying the flag. So they said, yes, but, but, you know, you're not going to be able to defend yourself. He said, you know, I'll wear my armor and I'll hold the flag. So subhanAllah, eventually, they allowed him to do that in this decisive battle. Now, the Battle of Qadisiyah raged for three days. It was a battle where the Persians employed elephants that literally they sent out to stomp people to death on the other side. I mean, this was a violent Large battle. Abdullah ibn Maktoum radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he takes the flag. He is the flag bearer of the Muslims, a man who never fought before. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is granting him, Min he had a desire inside of him, he had a desire to be of the greatest uh, of those Muslims and someone who sacrificed everything that happened before. So they said, subhanAllah, that the narrations mentioned that he even, you know, in order to make sure he wouldn't fall back because of the thrust of just the, the winds of war. I mean, he couldn't see anything. So he, they dressed him in armor and he just held the flag. He put his feet, literally planted his feet under the ground so that he couldn't move because he didn't want to move. And so when the battle would rage, he's literally got his feet kind of buried into the ground in a way that he's firmly planted and that he wouldn't fall. So he goes and he stands in the middle of this battle, subhanAllah, holding the flag, covered in armor with his feet, an old sahabi, one of the first people to become Muslim, and no one could tell him no. And on that day, this was the third day of Qadisiyah, out of the 30,000 Muslims, about 8,500 of them were killed. We talk about Stishhad, like the amount of people that were martyred, over 8,000 of the 30,000 were uh, were killed, over 40,000 Persians were killed. And so SubhanAllah, in that day, they, as they went to count all of these Sahaba that had passed away, multiple companions, multiple tabi'een passed away in this battle. And this was of course the battle, by the way, that opened the next step for the eventual fall of the Persian empire. This was it, once qadisiyah was done, that was it. So Allah granted them victory. They found Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum radiAllahu ta'ala anhu, and SubhanAllah, he was laying down and he had the flag clutched to his chest. Ta'ala. How beautiful SubhanAllah, clutching the flag of La Ilaha Allah Muhammad Rasulullah, the man who used to go out and who used to call the adhan, even though he couldn't see Fajr, the Prophet knew and Allah knew that he had something in his heart that could see because the eyes are not blind, it is the hearts that are blind. And Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala honored him with being one upon whom Qur'an, for whom Qur'an came down a Mu'addin of the Prophet, وسلم, the governor of Medina in the absence of the Prophet, وسلم, the one who was appointed to lead prayer, the one who was honored by the most honored family of the Prophet, وسلم, and here, the man who was honored as a shaheed, as a martyr, as well in this battle of Qadisiyya. Taala anhu. May Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala be pleased with him, have mercy upon him, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be gathered with the Prophet, وسلم, with the companions, with his family, with the Prophets, with the righteous ones, and what a blessed companionship that is. Allahumma amin. wa salallahumma Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ajma'een. Inshallah ta'ala, next week we're going to talk about none other than Mus'ab ibn Umair ta'ala anhu, which is one of the most touching uh, stories that we find in the seer of the Sahaba. So inshallah ta'ala, I will see you then. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, the Forerunners of Islam.